0: How do relationships work? How does it work for you to talk back and forth with somebody? How do relationships work? And if we were to go around the room and say uh, how we think relationships work, we would all probably have uh, maybe a different idea of how relationships work. Like, how how are you supposed to talk to people? How are you to relate to them? Uh, What can you expect from them? How do you get what you want from people? And the reason we'd all have maybe slightly different answers, maybe we would have the answer that we know is like, the right answer but in practice of our daily life we would all be, look a little different than how we do relationships. And we learn how to do relationships, how relationships work from our caregivers throughout life, our primary caregivers that uh, as we interact with them in, in the way they related to us, uh, we were learning, okay this is what I can expect from people, this is what I have to do in order to get uh, what I want or what I need, and um, this is how to talk to people. and that, our caregivers throughout life become the lens. They give us the lens through which we see all relationships. And so when you look at me or you look at people around this room, you have a lens on uh, for how to see other, how to see relationships, how they work, what to expect, how to talk, how to act. And you have a lens that was given to you by your caregivers uh, throughout your life, especially in the early years. And we're in this series called To Seek and to Save, the Gospel According to Luke. And Jesus, the way he answers why he came is in Luke 19.10. He says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And this is the middle chunk of the Gospel according to Luke. We covered the first part uh, in 2021, and now we're into this section from chapters 9 through 19, where Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's traveling there with other people that are going up to Jerusalem for Passover. And so there's people coming along, his disciples, maybe just strangers going on the way, people that are still checking him out. But there's just this group of people, they're heading up to Jerusalem for Passover. So this is his journey to Jerusalem, and along the way, this is about, I don't know, a couple week long trip, chapters 9 through 19, and I'm sure it could be longer than that, of the Gospel according to Luke. And as Jesus is going along the way, he's teaching, he's teaching his disciples, and one of the big questions that keeps coming up is, what is the kingdom of God like, and how do I get in on it? Uh, And he's answering those questions through parables, and through teachings, uh, and just interacting with people. And this is Today we're covering the third of three passages that are together, and each message um, I began with the, the title of it, Lord, Teach Us, and the first passage was the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus is teaching us how to love other people, and then last week we saw uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, uh, learning from him, listening to him, and so the, the thing there is, Lord, teach us. We want to learn from you. We want to listen to you. And today's passage is really about loving God. And the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how we can love God. And so right in the middle of these passages is someone sitting at Jesus' feet, listening and learning. And before that, you had Jesus teaching how to love other people. And today you have Jesus teaching how to love God. And what happens in this passage in uh, chapter 11, verse 1 of the Gospel according to Luke, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And so the context is that Jesus' disciples are there, they see him praying, and this prompts them to ask something, to request of him something, Lord, would you teach us to pray? We're seeing how you're praying, Uh, would you teach us to pray? And the implication is, teach us to pray like you pray, teach us to pray like you, like and they want to uh, have this, intera- this relationship with God that Jesus has with God. And what I find encouraging is that Jesus doesn't say, you might as well not even try. Um, this kind of what I got between God, that's just be- us. You can't get in on that. But what he actually does is said, no, okay, you want what I have. You want to talk to God like I talk to God? You want to trust God and how I trust God? You want to uh, obey him like I do? You want to have that kind of relationship? Yeah, I, I can teach you how to get in on that. This is, this is how you do it. And Jesus is someone who loves God and others perfectly. And so he's the best teacher because he's the best example. And we, we want to know how to love God perfectly, as Jesus does. Jesus, There's no other place to look than to Jesus. But prayer is a tough topic. Uh, in his book, Spiritual Leadership, J. Oswald Sanders, in the chapter called Prayer and Leadership, he, he quotes this. He says, If I wish to humble anyone, I should question him about his prayers. I know nothing to compare with this topic for its sorrowful self-confessions. And perhaps one of the most humbling questions you can be asked is, how's prayer going for you? Uh, I know that at any time if you ask me that, uh, my answer wouldn't be, no room to improve, everything's good. You know, that's a question that humbles us. Uh, but just share maybe in your groups, you know, use one word that you would use to describe what prayer is like for you. If you had one word to describe what prayer is like for you, what would that one word be? And just share you know, in your group, just the one word. One word to describe what prayer is like for you. Um,
1: that be like? Encouraging. <laughs> I can't Always. Emotional. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's come back together.
0: So probably none of us would say, "Hey, I'm I'm hitting it out of the park." I mean, maybe you would, and that's awesome if you would say that. You know, I'm prayer, I'm hitting it out of the park. I've got no room to improve. And you know, I, I think some of the answers we might commonly give are a bit boring, repetitive, um, not doing it enough, um, or I'm not doing it quite good enough, or maybe you even say non-existent or dull. And we might feel like I'm just kind of praying the same list over and over. And it's kind of like, why, you know, it's just like kind of a duty I have to go through it. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if prayer itself isn't the problem? What if it's how we approach prayer? Um, the kinds of things we pray about, um, what we think of God when we're praying. And if maybe you've been around someone and heard them praying or just seen their relationship with God, and you said, I want that. I want what they have. And what we have here is a personal lesson from Jesus. That it's like, I want what he has with God And the disciples are asking that. Now he's saying, okay, this is how you can have what I have with God. And we're going to cover three topics in this passage, the what, how, and who of prayer. The what, how, and who of prayer. And so what to pray is, first of all, in verses 2 through 4 of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 11. So this is what to pray. So the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And then verse 2 says, he said to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And so it begins with, Father, this is who you're praying to. It's not, you know, the cosmic genie in the sky, it's not Santa Claus, it's, this is who you're talking to, Father. It's not even God, like God, you know, kind of, well, God could be, everyone, almost everyone would maybe say they believe that there's some sort of God. Um, But this isn't just pray to God out there. This is pray to Father, intimate. This is who he is, which tells us also who we are, that we are children praying to a father. Defines the relationship. And for some of us, I know that that word, Father, does not bring positive images to us or feelings to us. And we talked about how the way that we learn how relationships work is to our caregivers, and so perhaps when you hear the word "father," some words come to mind that aren't super helpful, and we'll talk a bit about that later. But then he says, "Hallowed be your name," uh, which is basically maybe may you be given uh, your proper reverence, awe, and glory. That you would you be the fame of who you are being known throughout the world. Your greatness, your majesty, your goodness, your graciousness, and your gloriousness. Uh, that the all of that who he is will be made known, that his reputation will be seen for what it is. And then he prays, your kingdom come. So we're putting ourselves in a position of saying, uh, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Who's on the throne here? That God is on the throne, I'm not on the throne, and so I'm coming in this position of surrender, that I'm coming with an attitude and posture of surrender. And these first three items that Jesus Shows them to pray. Start with this focus on God. Uses the words, your. Looking at God, saying, your kingdom come. May your, your, your name. And so it's putting us in this position of, I'm focusing on God. And if you think about Jesus, where he's at, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the situation here is that uh, his father, that acted on behalf of the people of Israel, that he said, I'm going to bring my son out of Egypt. That I'm going to rescue them from slavery in Egypt. you know, A thousand years before 1,500 years before Jesus, this one said, this is my son, I'm going to rescue them from Egypt so that they can be my people. And so Jesus is praying to the Father who acted on Israel's behalf as he's going up to Jerusalem. And he says, may your name uh, be hallowed. And he's seeing, as we've seen in the Gospel according to Luke, he's seeing lots of people who are dishonoring God's name, that they're not representing him accurately. And so he's saying, I want him to be represented accurately, that people would know him for who he really is. And also... People are hoping for the kingdom of God, for God to come and to set up his kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, I'm praying to the Father who rescued Israel. I want his name to be seen, for him to be seen for who he is. And I want his kingdom to come. And this isn't just a future thing, but it's a thing that is happening now as Jesus is doing it. And then so he starts off with this focus on God and then he transitions to requests. Uh, in verses um, 3 through 4, we see the words us and ours, So it's your, your, and now it's you know, us know, and our transferring to requests. And what we see is that they're a family praying together to a father. That is plural, us and our. They're together, like we are today, praying to their father together. And so, uh, in, in your groups, quickly, what are some topics that we typically pray about? What are some of the common topics that we uh, usually bring to God in prayer to share with, with your groups? And if you need to kind of do... Halves, because it feels too far. You know, to do one half of your group talk with those those halves. What are topics we typically bring to God? <laughs> So we have our go-to topics, right? The things that are kind of like on our mind. Maybe it's things we're stressed about, worried about, things we need help with. But it'll be interesting to see what does Jesus, what are the topics he tells us to pray about? uh, Because they're asking, how can I talk to God? like you talk to God. And he's like, okay, this is what I talk to God about. And so we can compare, like, are those the things that I'm praying uh, to God about? And it's also important to note that before he goes to the requests, uh, he first has these passages, these words he prays that are focusing on God, that there's this orientation to, okay, you're my Father. Hallowed be your name. This is about you, not me. And your kingdom come. Not about my will, my purposes, my agenda. Um, You're in charge. And so there's this orientation. And then he moves into um, three needs that we rely on God for. Three needs that we rely on God for. And his first, he says, is daily bread. Uh, He says, give us each day our daily bread. So we rely on God physically, provision three needs that we rely on God for the first is we rely on God physically for provision the basic needs of life I need food today uh, that would you give to me God And thinking back to Matthew 6 where Jesus says do not be anxious about food or what you'll drink or what you'll wear Uh, your heavenly father knows you need them all And this can bring us back to, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, when uh, God is leading his people, Israel, in the desert. And they're like, we don't have any food. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you uh, something that's kind of like bread every day. It's called manna. And you only were given enough for that day. And you had to trust God's word. Jesus even quotes it in Luke 4. He says, "Uh, man will not live on bread alone, but by the very word. The words that come from God. So God said, I will provide it every day. And you need to trust that I've said that. And so you, so today I can't gather enough for the week. He says, no, whatever you gather extra for today will rot. You have to trust that every day I'm going to provide it. And so he's saying, give us today our daily bread, which you would have expected the Israelites could have prayed that. Give us today our daily bread, God. We're trusting in you for this manna, this bread to come from heaven because we know we can't store it up each day. We're dependent on you. And it can be difficult for us to kind of connect with, give us today our daily bread because we're pretty disconnected from the source of our food. Like These are people that are growing it, that feel uh, taking it from the ground. They have a real uh, connection to the earth and where their food's coming from. And it's like, uh, if the crops don't go well, they're going to have big problems. And so that's very real uh, dependence on God for the basic needs of life. But we still today can even, when we have our food, we can recognize, even though it came from across the country and then so-and-so package it, and then we bought it from this place, and you know, whatever. It's like we can still recognize, God, you provided my food today. You provided my basic needs today. And we often ask for a lot of non-essentials. His first prayer is like, give us our daily bread. And we don't often probably wake up saying, God, please provide my food for today. The second need is that we rely on God relationally for forgiveness. We rely on God relationally for forgiveness. He says, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And this, the way he says it there may be a little confusing. It's, wait a second. So I have to forgive other people in order for God to forgive me? What well, it seems like there's a catch here. Like, if I go and tell God, like, I'm sorry, he might say, well, you didn't forgive so-and-so, so I'm not going to forgive you. It seems like maybe, like, we have to earn forgiveness from God, or like, It's kind of like something we have to show him like that. I've forgiven people, so now I'm deserving of your forgiveness. Um, But forgiveness is never earned because forgiveness, um, as he shows here, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so a debt uh, can be forgiven if the person who gave out the money is saying, you no longer have to pay it back. But if you're having to come and say, I've forgiven other people, um, therefore I've earned this forgiveness from you. Well, that's paying back the debt. That's not being forgiven of the debt. And so it's saying, as we forgive those indebted to us, God, we want you to forgive us indebted, uh, how we're indebted to you. And so if you have to pay back a debt, it's not forgiveness. That's just paying it back. But what he's, this, is, this isn't unique to just this spot. There's several spots in Scripture where we're told, if you're not forgiven other people, God's not going to forgive you. And the reality is that the person who closes their heart to forgiving uh, has not opened their heart to be forgiven. Is that there's a relationship there between the two. And for holding others sins against them, we have not realized how many sins we have against God. And uh, the person who most easily forgives is the person who knows how much they've been forgiven. And Jesus knows this. A forgiven person is a forgiving person. And so he says, you can't both be holding other people's sins against them and hoping God won't hold your sins against you, because he says those don't work together. They go hand in hand. Those aren't, they're, uh, they're connected. They don't get separated. The third need is that we rely on God spiritually for protection and guidance. We rely on God spiritually for protection and guidance. He says in the second half of verse 4, and lead us not into temptation. So we rely on God spiritually for protection and guidance from temptation. That as we go through life, there are things that could draw us down a path away from God. And the person we can rely on to keep us from that is God Himself. And there's three ways to think about salvation. One is we're saved from the penalty of sin, which is forgiveness. We're saved from the penalty of sin. He already said forgive us our sins. We're saved from the penalty of what we've done, and all the ways we fail to love God and love others by what we do and what we don't do. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. But here he's talking about being saved from the power of sin, that we've been saved from the penalty of it, but we also need saving from the power of it. God, would you give me the strength, the power? Would you free me from these things that lead me away from you? And I'm asking, would you please free me from them, save me from them? But then also we pray, uh, God will save us from the presence of sin. So we're saved from the penalty, we're being saved from the power We will be saved from the presence of sin altogether. And that's where Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, where it's your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, that the presence of sin is no more wreaking havoc on our world. And so you can think to yourself, is this what I pray? Are these things I pray for? This desire for God's glory and his kingdom, dependence on God to provide, uh, to forgive, and to lead me. And these next two parts of the passage won't be as lengthy, but he Jesus sees. There's a, he, uh, They have two more lessons beyond just knowing what to say. This is what to say, what to pray to God. But there's two more lessons that they need because he sees you want the kind of relationship with God that I have, and that doesn't just entail saying the things I say, but it means uh, approaching God the way I approach and seeing Him as I see Him. So first, how to pray in verses five through ten. He he gives this story. Uh, he gives them this prayer, and then he says. Verses 5 through 10. He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on the journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So he starts with this story that somebody living in this town, uh, their friend has come in the middle of the night and they need food, um, they need Water or whatever else, um, and the the one who has this person visiting is like I, I don't have any bread. So he goes over to his neighbor, knocks on the door, and says, "Could you could you please supply me some bread? Um, I have a friend who's come, and I can't feed them." And this is very big deal. Hospitality was a big deal in this culture, and is still a big deal in this culture today. That if you have a friend, you have this responsibility to provide for their needs, to be able to host them. Um, and if you don't have that, there's this risk of dishonor both for you and your household, and even potentially the whole village, that if you can't provide for a guest, that's a big deal. And they don't have a 24-7 Walmart, so you can't just be like, one second, let me go grab some you know, chicken nuggets or whatever from Walmart, um, and we'll have those whipped up for you quick. No, they have to use go to somebody. And asking for bread, you might be like, that wouldn't be the first thing I'd ask for to feed my friend. But um, bread was um, not necessarily the meal, but in a way it's the spoon, the fork, and the knife getting the meal into your mouth. But there'd be like maybe this common dish and the bread, you'd break it off and you dip it in there, let it soak it up and then you would uh, eat. And so he's like, I need bread so I can feed this friend. And what happens is he knocks on his friend's door and he says, we're all asleep. Uh, They would have been probably in a one room, you know, it's kind of a peasant situation where these people aren't super rich. So one big room, all the family's asleep and um, those of you who have kids or who had kids know Please do not wake my sleeping baby. Like, I just got them to sleep. It's been two hours. And so he's like, no, all my kids are asleep. I can't help you right now. And so the situation, uh, Jesus gives kind of the punchline, the point he's trying to make, verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And the word impudence is a little like, what does that even mean? Um, I have a little note in my Bible that says persistence. And some ways of translating it are shamelessness or boldness, persistence. Uh, and so you have this friend who's come to them at midnight, and the NIV calls it shameless audacity. That it's like, how you knocking on my door at midnight to come and get this from me? Uh, what you know? But, uh, but it's like I'm not going to give that to you because you're my friend, but because you just kind of barges in here, I'll give it to you. That's one reading of the story. But the NIV there's a footnote, the NIV translation. Uh, that says, or it could be translated, yet to preserve his name. And so it could say, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything, because he's friend, yet uh, to preserve his name or his honor, he will rise. And so there's two ways of looking at this story. Option one would be, he's talking about, because of his shamelessness, his boldness, his persistence, uh, the desperate neighbors inconveniencing his friend, and he won't get up because they're friends, but he will get up because... Well, the guy's just so persistent. He's knocking on my door. He's not going to go away. And so he gets up and gives him uh, what he wants because of the, the, the neighbor's boldness, persistence, and shamelessness at knocking at midnight. The other option is to see it something like he gets up, uh, even if he's not his friend, he's going to get up to not dishonor his name. And Jesus begins the story with, uh, which of you who has a friend? And he tells a story. And it's a hypothetical question. Basically, can you imagine this scenario? And all the people in there would have said, of course not. Of course you would get up and give him bread. We're all uh, This is a ridiculous situation Jesus is presenting. Is that, can you imagine that if you had a neighbor who came to you because they needed to be hospitable to a friend that arrived at midnight? Can you imagine that somebody would actually say, don't bother me, and turn them away? He's saying, no, you can't imagine that situation. He's like, we all know that we would do that. So that's the other way of reading the story. So it would be saying... He's not going to, even if he doesn't get up because he's his friend, he'd get up to avoid dishonor. And so the point is that God will answer you, both because you have this relationship with him, Father, and before the honor of his own name. Jesus prayed, Father, hallowed be your name. And so he's saying, God, you can always trust him to respond to you when you have a request. But both, I prefer option two, but both basically make the same point um, with a different emphasis. Because then Jesus says in verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Sorry, my page, suspense bills. There we go. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. So he's saying, Ask, seek, knock, go to God. Why? Verse ten for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so approach one basically saying, go to God, ask, seek, knock. And depending on which translation we prefer, approach one is approach him desperately and persistently. Or option number two is approach him because he will not ignore you for two reasons. Because he's your father, that's the kind of relationship you have with him. Second reason, because it's for the honor of his own name that he would respond to his children's requests. And so how to pray? We ask, seek, knock. And sometimes we see God is unwilling to help us that we don't bring our needs and our problems to him. Because it's like a bother. He might tell us, just go away. Like, really? This thing again? You really need that again? We might feel like, yeah, I've got to go kind of, only go if I really need it, if I'm really desperate. And then we, you know, might make promises. God, I promise I'll be better. If you do this for me, I'll do this. And we think, we don't want any inconvenience, God. We don't bother him. We are afraid he's just going to tell us to go away. And Jesus says, that's ridiculous. Of course, he's not going to send you away. The relationship you have with him—he's your father. You're his child. Uh, He—and he's going to do—and if he wouldn't do it because of that, he'd do it to uh, honor his own name, to show his reputation. Hallowed be his name, to show how great and good and gracious and glorious he is. That, of course, he's not going to send you away. Jesus says, and so we need to our approach to God corrected by an accurate picture of God. Because if we see God as someone who's kind of locked away in his house, he has got his own problems. I like, I don't want to bother him. We're not going to want to go to him. But if we see he's just waiting in there, wide open arms, please come to me. I'm ready to listen to you. Lastly, who you pray to. So there was the what to pray, how to pray, who you pray to. This is verses 11 through 13. And this passage is really Jesus continuing to help correct their view of God that uh, you want the kind of relationship with God that I have? Okay. Here's, what I, here's kind of in general what I pray. These are the themes. But also, I want to help you see God how I see Him. This is His character. This is what He's like. This is His attitude and disposition towards you. For, so verses 11 through 12 says, And when they bring... Oh, sorry. Wrong chapter. Chapter 11. What He asked, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And basically, he's saying, like, uh, what do parents give their kids when they ask for stuff? Uh, earthly fathers don't give bad, harmful things to their kids. Of course, we, parents don't give everything their kids ask for because sometimes saying no to what ask for is actually better than giving them what they ask for. Uh, but he's saying, you, you earthly parents, you don't give your kids bad, harmful things when they ask for stuff. And then he moves on in verse uh, 13. If you, then, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Maybe that little line, you who are evil, maybe sticks out to you. It's like, I would have maybe said, you who are human, or you who are imperfect, (laughs) "Uh, you know how to give good gifts, so how much more can you trust God? But really, he's showing the huge uh, distance between us and God. In comparison to God, what we do for other people and for our kids is evil in comparison to how good God is. He's saying, like, if you are evil, says, no, you guys uh, know, you get mad, you get impatient, you don't want to do things for your kids. If even you give good gifts, uh, then how much more can we trust God? It's this, you know, this is a common argument in the Bible. How much more, if this is the case, how much more then can we trust that God will give good gifts to his kids? He's a good father. And you can trust him to give you good gifts. And what's interesting is he said, gets very specific. It doesn't say, we'll give you the good stuff you want. He says, we'll give you. The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And Jesus is saying the best gift God could ever give you is his Holy Spirit. Uh, He had already prayed, your kingdom come. And the Holy Spirit, as we find in the rest of the Bible, is the down payment of that kingdom. (coughs) Praying, one day God's kingdom will come and sin will be no more. And right now the Holy Spirit is the down payment of that future reality. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, God's personal presence with us. To liberate us from the ways that sin and Satan and death have, are clutching onto our life. And says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so you can experience what the future will be like. You're a new creation, that uh, the future's going to be new, but that's already starting in you. And so God giving his personal presence. And when Jesus is baptized uh, by John the Baptist in Luke chapter 4, He gets baptized, and when he comes out, the Holy Spirit comes down on him, and you hear the voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And so the Holy Spirit is the way God says to us, This is my beloved child, this is my beloved Son, this is my beloved daughter, that God seals us with his love through the Holy Spirit, sending it into our lives so we we finally see it's real. He really is my Father, that uh, he is attached to me and I'm attached to him. He sees me as his child, I see him as my father. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is builds that, that link between us. And what we learn from this is that God delights in giving himself. When you ask for more of him, he will give more of him. And the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift to meet our most desperate need, which is for God and to be free of sin. So, by the way, this whole you know, thing we're doing with these little curb chairs, this is the first time we've ever done this. And so, it's the first time I've ever prepared questions for this. And so, if some things are bumpy, you know, just look forward to next week. Hopefully, it'll be better. So, uh, the, this question I want you to think about is like the key to this passage, which is what do you think God is like when you pray? If you were just imagine a picture of God of what he's like, is he like this guy in the house that's like, go away, don't bother me? Is he like a bad father who gives. You know, scorpions and whatever else to you when you ask for things. Uh, just so share with people maybe characteristics. Or how you picture God uh, when you pray. What is God like when you pray? Share with your share with your groups.
1: Thank uh-huh. you. Which is really so we're praying to him, and I can see that. Yeah, like these other fathers, whole as as ask ask What we really question. want to say from, no, really uh, yeah. from the stuff that we're lying right. Yeah. I am I'm also, Sometimes I'm more. it will not even i don't know like sometimes it feels like, like i get this sense of like panic like a whole like, oh, wow. like you're standing like you're standing in front of like the president or like just i don't know just imagine like standing right next to him like, that feeling of like i'm, like, I'm small like. sometimes i feel that but sometimes it's not like, no, I don't think that's. a guy in the <laughs> the <laughs> yeah the yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's come back together. So, little I, I could hear. It sounded like I'm encouraged. I heard a lot of positive views of God. Uh, so, maybe you didn't really need this passage. <laughs> uh, but you know, those. Uh, I think one of the. You can tell a lot about someone's view of God by how they pray. Is what do we say? Um, how do we approach Him? Um, because we talked about earlier, we learned how to relate to God by what our caregivers, early in our years, showed us, is that uh, this is how relationships work. This is how what to expect. This is how to get what you want. This is how people are going to talk to you. And I think one of the revealing moments for us is what is God like when we're weak, needy, and sinful? Because uh, if you're like me, it's sometimes easiest to pray to God when things are going well. It's like, okay, God kind of walks me around. But when you're weak, needy, and sinful, what kind of well, how do you see God? Of course, not just in your head, like, well, I know God is loving, I know he's forgiving, I know he's this. Do you feel like, um, well, I've got to kind of have a good streak before I can go talk to him again. Or like, oh, he's going to be really, you know, just kind of, I'm just tired of this, Mitch. Like, please, stop bringing this problem to me. Um, what is God like when you're weak, needy, and sinful? And when we look at this, what kind of relationship with God is, Jesus, is modeling and teaching to us? According to Jesus, how does a relationship with God work? How are we to relate to him? How should we view him? What should we expect of him? How should we view ourselves? And the big idea, if I was to sum up what, I, what Jesus is saying here, is how to pray, is pray as beloved children to a good father. Pray as beloved children to a good father. You could also include pray as needy and beloved children to a good father. Because really this passage is about, Needs like approaching God with our needs that ask seek not come to Him and He wants to He wants us to talk to Him so we pray as beloved children to a good Father we're needy kids bringing our needs to a good and generous Father and there's a book that a few of us read a couple years back called Gentle and Lowly if you've not read it um, I would highly recommend it one of the top probably five books I'd ever tell somebody to read if you you know you're me in a desert island you have to have like one book. Besides the Bible, that might be one of the books I did recommend to you. But he says this, The Christian life, from one angle, is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is, over many decades, fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. So what you know about God is less important than how you relate to Him. That head knowledge, but how do I relate to Him? How do I approach Him? What do I think He is like? How do I? Uh, what do I see Him as when I'm uh, have needs in my life? And the whole the whole Christian life is really learning to relate to God as a beloved son or daughter. Is that if you have been saved by Jesus, rescued out of sin, Satan, and death, and brought it, and adopted into God's family? Now you are a full child of God. The amazing thing is that we can have the same relationship with God that Jesus had because our status in standing before God is the same as Jesus standing before God. That's the gospel, is that uh, you were orphans, you were, you were being parented really by Satan. That We see passages about that, that people are captured by Satan, being parented by him, and then God takes us out of that situation brings us into his family, adopts us, gives us the Holy Spirit as the seal of our adoption that I'm really your father, you're really my child. And now it's this long process of learning what is it like to relate to God as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. Learning to see God as he is which leads us to see ourselves as God sees us. And we can pray like Jesus because before God we have the same status and the same standing and now it's like Jesus please teach me how am I supposed to relate uh, to God the Father? Would you would you show me? Would you teach me? How do I pray? How do I approach Him? How am I supposed to think of Him? Would you show me? And He can come alongside us and say, "This is. Are you you're having struggle with a sin right now? This is what God's like. You can take it to Him. You're struggling with a weakness right now, or a failure, or a challenge. This is what you can do. This is how you can approach Him. And He brings us to God and shows us how to relate to Him."